Leafs Lightning, a pivotal game two goes down tonight. We'll help tee up the game for you all and let you know everything you'll need to know for tonight's matchup. Uh, and the verdict is in on Michael Bunting. We'll tell you how many games he got and how it'll impact the series. All that more coming up on today's edition of Locked On Leafs. It's your team every day. Your Locked On Maple Leafs, your daily podcast on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome into the April 20th edition of the Lockdown Leafs podcast. Shout out to all the 420 supporters. It's a national holiday for some of those out there. And hopefully your holiday is not uh, invaded by a terrible performance by the Maple Leafs like we saw happen in game one. Because tonight's a pivotal game two and we're here to tee everything up for you. Because uh, it's Locked on Leafs. We're your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, uh, also known as Al's brother on TSN's Overdrive and TSN 1050's Leafs Launch. Joining me, it's my co-host, Dave Morissuti from Sportsnet. Uh, Locked on Leafs is a daily Maple Leaf-centric podcast. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts from. We're also up on YouTube as well uh, via video format. If you haven't checked us out there, please do subscribe to the channel and uh, hit the little notification bell because we've got new videos coming out each and every weekday, Monday through Friday. Uh, with the playoffs here, man, it's go time. And we got tons of content coming out for you all. And, of course, there's a game tonight, Leafs and Lightning Game 2, which to me feels like a Game 7, Dave, like the – the nerves, I think, are even a little higher today than they were heading into game one. How do you feel about tonight's game? Yeah, it's hard not to feel anxious about it because you know what's at stake. You know how game one went and how many things need to start going right for this Leafs team to turn things around. So, yeah, if you're feeling anxious or a little concerned, I don't blame you. Like it's, uh, I'm sure there's confidence with some people, but it's there's probably still a lot of nerves to go around. Uh and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of that in the arena tonight. Yeah. Uh, and you say you're going to be down at the game tonight I for game be, two? Yep. I will be there. I will be there and I will uh, just be sitting in my seat being like, yep, everything's good. Nothing going wrong. One of those people. So let me, if they're down three cob again after one period, will will David Morissuti be part of the Boo Birds if that's happening again? Are you that guy? Are you that fan? Or are you a little more reserved and you just kind of sit there with anger and disgust and silence. Yeah, I'll be a part of that. Probably that Sportsnet montage where they just took all the sad leaf reaction throughout the game and just put it into that montage. Really love to see that. I, I know the people who put it together. I forgot to thank them personally for that one. Yeah, that, that felt so good to watch. Well, Dave, hopefully that's not the case this time. There's a lot more cheering and rowdiness going on because this yeah. is an important game for the Maple Leafs, so one that could legitimately be franchise-altering. Like, not to you know, go a little bit overboard here, but like you, you lose tonight's game. You're down 2-0 in the series heading back to Tampa. That's bad news bears if you're the Maple Leafs. And we know how much is at stake in this series in particular. So we'll preview tonight's game uh, in, in a little bit. I guess we'll kind of be doing it throughout the entire show today. It's kind of the, the crux of it. That's what's important uh, today in Leafland. But we do got to get to this Michael Bunting news right off the bat. We do have the verdict on Michael Bunting and his 
uh, hit on Eric Chernak. The blind side hit the elbow uh, in contact to the head play. He got 5-10 and, and a game misconduct in game one. And uh, he also has been given an additional three games. Dave, three games. Michael Bunting will be suspended for um, for his hit to the head on Eric Chernak. Um, my first instinct was that that seemed, uh, you know, a, a little excessive to me. Like I, I, I fully understood that that was a bad hit and it was a suspendable play one game, maybe two, maybe because he's Michael Bunting and we know there's a slight reputation despite there being no prior history on this, I think, which is important to add Zilch. three games to me was, was quite excessive. Yeah, I, I and look, I under I looked at the reasoning behind it. I know Chris Johnson uh, tweeted out uh, one legal check to the head. We knew that was going to get him suspended. Yes, uh, no, it's for a player who had no reason to anticipate or you know, pretty much a defenseless player and the injury. I, I think they really are factoring the injury here because he is not playing in the next game, and I think that's why they went heavier on the suspension. But it still doesn't add up in my opinion because I was doing some searching around of what got a three game suspension for a hit to the head. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, those ones are far worse than what I saw Michael Bunting do. Like, yeah. so two games, I would have been like, you know what? Yeah. I said at least one, maybe two. And I didn't think more because playoff games meet that much more. And the NHL is like, no, we're going to throw, they literally threw the rule book at this guy. Like they made sure of it. And, it's just like, okay, so somebody who has his... Now, the best part is if... I mean, hopefully you don't have another hit like this. But if there is another hit like this, and you the NHL better not give the give whatever person that is a lighter suspension because you know they're going to get criticized for it. And the funny thing is, is they've done this before. Wow. That's, that's the part about this. We have seen some suspensions get really hefty, like the Jason Spezza one. And the for all those years ago. And then we get like the ticky, like the ones that we think they're going to be worse. And then it's like, nah, it's just going to be a one gamer. The, the Ryan Hartman one at the end of the season, I thought was one of the more brutal hits that we've seen. And like illegal hits that was very much not warranted. You know, like I didn't have the puck. It was, it was away from the play. Like it was just a bad hit. And that only got one regular season game. So to see this one get three just speaks to how, you know, how much of a head scratcher sometimes the Department of Player Safety uh, is with their rulings. And, you know, I think O-Dog on uh, Overdrive was was kind of said it best. Like a third game almost feels like a Michael Bunting tax. You know, mm-hmm. just the, the way that he, this guy's been officiated. They had the opportunity to suspend him to the fullest extent that they felt they were allowed to. And, you know, they didn't they didn't, you know, they, they did it, right? Like, I, they did not ease up at all. That's the word I was looking for. They didn't ease yeah. up on them. They levied down uh, the largest suspension that they felt they were able to probably get away with. And three games ends up being uh, being the call. And so they're going to have to go without their, you know, technically top-line winger who's been alongside Matthews and Marner for the better part of two seasons. And he's not going to be available for the Maple Leafs for, for the next three games. I mean, how do you expect his presence in the lineup to to impact things going forward well yeah you're gonna lose a guy who brings that edge to your team that's something that the Leafs don't really have a lot of like they have players that will do it 
but Michael Bunting can also put the puck in the net on top of doing that. Now he hasn't been doing that a lot lately. So I think in that regard, like, you know, Michael Bunting wasn't exactly firing on all cylinders as he was last year. I know that the stats are similar, but it's the timing of everything, right? Like yeah. think about four goals since March, like at the same time, I'm, you know, a lot of people aren't, they're upset that Michael Bunting's not playing, but they're at the same time. They're just like, I do you notice a split though in the fan base? Oh, a thousand percent. Oh, yeah. So there's there is a segment out there that believes the Leafs are actually better off with Michael Bunting out of the lineup because now it's an opportunity to get Matthew Nyes in there. And some people are are thinking like this might be Nazem Kadri all over again, where he takes a, a a bad you know a bad penalty, he gets suspended, and it's it's curtains. It might be bye bye for Michael Bunting. Might not find himself back into the lineup and and you know won't be brought back to the organization because they can't trust them like that is another additional conversation that's that is happening currently online i want to get your thoughts on that viewpoint of this whole situation with michael bunting well and the, and the thing is is like all those people that maybe villainized Kadri all those years ago are the same people that just like oh why did the Leafs trade this guy they now look what they look what, what? happened right like I'm not one of those that's going to say now you can't have Michael Bunting on the team anymore. There's got to be a conversation had that, you know what, man, like you, we allowed you to toe the line. We allowed you to do play with that edge and look what happened. You cost us, you know, clearly you cost us not, not cost the game, but you know, you put us in a difficult situation in game one. It was the nail in the coffin. Yeah. Like uh, the game was, was pretty well over, but then when he took that penalty and they scored twice yeah. in that five minute major, that was the nail in the coffin. Yeah. So there's that. And there's also like, you, he knows the refs, his reputation. And yet yeah. he still continues at some point. Someone's got to send a message. I just don't, th- I'm not one of those who's going to be like, ah, oh, he can't be on the team or just because of that. I think that's a little, that's a little much, uh, you know, there aren't many players that can do what Michael Bunting does successfully and effectively. It's just, he, he's, he got this reputation. He saw what he was able to do and how he can disrupt the game. And he took it too far. Now you got to give him the chance to work his way back. It's not like he's constantly getting himself suspended. Right. And and the and the best part is, you know, I know that now the Nazem Kadri comparison has been coming out, and we do have we do have a bit of a response. Well, so yeah, you want to you want to set this one up? I'll set this one up because you know we all know what happened with Nazem Kadri here, right? Took with suspension, um, you know, like that cost the the team a series, and then did the same thing the following season. It was two playoffs in a row against the Boston Bruins where Nazem Kadri and those suspension really cost this team to the point where the, the, the fan base ran him out of town and said, you can't trust this guy. Can't have him on the team. And Toronto traded him the following summer for Tyson Berry and Alex Kerfoot. And uh, we now know how poorly that trade has uh, obviously um, has aged, uh, you know, with him going on to win a Stanley Cup with the Colorado Avalanche, and Tyson Berry walked the next year's UFA, they got nothing. And Alex Kerfoot's, uh, you know, bottom six player or you know, top six now, I guess. If you we'll get to the lines in a little bit, but um, you know, clearly neither of those two are, are Nazem Kadri. But it's funny because you know, it's a very similar situation, right? Where Michael Bunting, who's a guy who plays on the edge and has a similar reputation to what Kadri had. He found himself in that that predicament too, where he 
he was uh you know known as a bit of a diver embellisher type mm-hmm. of guy with the with the officials and you know didn't get the benefit of the doubt for a while either like he eventually basically had the same issue that Michael Bunting's having right now here in Toronto and then he would go over the line in the playoffs and he found himself out of this market because of the same type of stuff and because of these parallels um I know that Overdrive was talking about it and Brian Hayes was talking about it and TSM posted a little clip if you, you want to bring the tweet up I think you have it Nazem Kadri caught wind of it uh you know, he's not playing, so he's just kind of seeing what's going on as the flames are out. And he said, uh, y'all got to leave me out of this one with a crying emoji. Come on, man. And it's to TSN Hockey tweeting out, quote, shades of Nazem Kadri, Brian Hayes on how the crushing leaf start to the game, how much impact Michael Bunting's max penalty for his hit to the head on Eric Turanak, blah, blah, blah. And Kadri actually just, like, responds to it, quote, tweets it, Y'all got to leave me out of this one. That's 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 all bunts, man. That has nothing to do with me. I did think it was kind of funny for him to uh, to chime in on that one. But, you know, it's uh, – yeah, it's it's really unfortunate, I think, as is, is we could say. I think three games is, is pretty excessive. You know, a game or two would have made sense, but now missing that guy for three, it does force the Maple Leafs to, to juggle the lines uh, once again. And – Going into game two, we'll, we'll see basically completely different forward configuration than we saw in game one. Now, based on how they played in game one, maybe this would have been coming anyways. I don't think Bunting would have been the guy who came out of the lineup, but it kind of makes that decision a lot easier for Sheldon Keefe um, this way. So why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back. We'll share what the lines look at at practice ahead of game number two tonight. Uh, it's, it's basically a must win, guys. Almost a must win and we do have a starting goaltender it was finally announced after being up in the air overnight yesterday Sheldon Keith came out and emphatically stated who his tendy is going to be in game two we'll tell you who that is on the other side but first Dave having a word from uh, one of our oldest and best show sponsors it's our good friends at Built Bar yes it is our good friends at Built Bar and guess what something exciting is coming to Built.com on April 22nd I don't have all the details yet, but the excitement is real and it's something you don't want to miss. If you know how Built works, they have the most incredible protein bars in the world and they do amazing, amazing flavors like, you know, cookies and cream, churro, peanut butter, brownie. And these these unreal flavors do come in limited qualities, quantities. So mark your calendars and head to Built.com because on Saturday, April 22nd, be one of the first to discover what all the hype is about. I can't wait to see what the new flavor is. Make sure you use the promo code LOCKDOWN15 to get 15% off your order at Built.com. It is going to be a treat because guess what? Built Bars are exactly that. They are a treat, and they are probably one of the best protein bars out there. So make sure you go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKDOWN15 to get 15% off your next order. Welcome back to the Locked On Lease podcast. I'm Mike DiStefano. I've got Dave Morissuti with me. We're your hosts here at Locked On Lease, a daily Maple Leaf-centric podcast. And uh, if you are an everydayer, we appreciate you coming out and supporting us each and every day. If you're new to the podcast, you know, hopefully you can become an everydayer. We're trying to grow this family, grow the community. Uh, one Leaf fan at a time. We've got a Discord channel, which is always popping off. You can check it down below. We've got the uh, the link in the podcast description so you can check out and, and maybe 
join uh, the Discord there and, and be part of that community as well. Uh, but thank you so much for everyone for for giving us uh, a shot and listening to this podcast. Um, we got a big game tonight too that we get a preview for all y'all. Uh, and because of the Michael Bunting suspension, it really did force Sheldon Keefe to uh, to kind of take out the lineup blender, whether it was the suspension or the terrible play in game one. Either way, the blender was taken out in practice today, and we got some brand new forward lines to kind of look at and break down for you. So I don't know if you want to bring them up, Dave, and we can kind of go over them one by one and, and kind of, uh, you know, give our impressions of, what Sheldon Keefe has kind of cooked up here heading into game two. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite interesting when you look at these lines because this is kind of what we thought the lines are going to be like in game one, which was having your centers one through four, making sure you're running four lines deep in terms of how you're spreading out the lineup. The So the big change, obviously, Yarn Crook is going to be taking over for bunting with Matthews and Marner. You have Kerfoot moving up into the left wing spot with Tavares and Nylander. So reuniting that second line that we saw for most of the season. Then you have Matthew Nyes getting into the lineup. He's going to play with uh, with Ryan O'Reilly and Olachari, which we hadn't seen yet. And he did play with Achari, but it was Achari, sorry, with uh, O'Reilly, but it was with Nylander on the right. So Achari is a little bit new there. You have Zach Asnerik, David Canton, Lafferty. That, that remains the same. So... Basically, small changes, like guys kind of moving around a little bit and nice coming in. But this is kind of what we thought the lineup was going to be like in game one, just because we thought the Leafs would want to have four lines deep and four lines that are capable of of having some offense on top of it as well. Yeah, three at the very least with Matthews, Tavares, and O'Reilly being spread out down the middle. I still probably would prefer if Sheldon Keefe were to flip Kerfoot and Nyes only because I still look at that that you know third line and still deep down want it to be looked at as more of a checking line. And I'm not sure you're deploying Matthew Nyes as a, a checking line forward against the top line of Kucherov, Point, and Stamkos um, in his first ever playoff game. I just I, I think that would be way too much of a responsibility. And if you're not sending out O'Reilly to do that, like who are you sending out to to do that as a forward group? Like you're not going to send out your fourth line and, and I don't want Nylander to, you know, have to shut those guys down either. Like, I guess maybe you're going to try and match them up with your top line with Matthews, Marner and Yarncroc. But I thought the point of having O'Reilly on a third line was to, you know, allow Matthews to cook and, and free him up a little bit. Like it just, it really does confuse me a little bit. These, these, you know, this lineup configuration, um, it shouldn't just because we know how much Sheldon Keefe trusts Alex Kerfoot. And yeah. typically his first instinct is to put Kerfoot up in the top six role because he's done that so often. Anytime something's going wrong and they, you know, need to put someone in the top six, he's usually the guy who ends up winning that job or is awarded that opportunity. And I mean, Kerfoot has in the past, you know, stepped up in the playoffs. I understand, but I don't know. For me, I just thought that he would be best served as a, more of a defensive guy with O'Reilly and Achari. And, you know, that's your defensive, you know, your defensive unit. Like you just kind of send those guys out as your checking line. And then Nyes, I think, could cook up some offense with Tavares and, and Willie Nylander. And then that's basically, you know, I think would be your your forward lines essentially. But Sheldon Keefe obviously thinks, uh, thinks otherwise. And these are the lines he's going with. I, I did believe that Matthews, Marner, and Yarncroft did start to, 
show a little something something at the end of the the first game there in the third period they did score a really nice tic-tac-toe kind of goal so hopefully they can bring some of that uh some of that effort and in, into game two very early on yeah i think the important thing here is for yarn croak is matthews and martin are going to get all the attention like bunting had chances in that game against tampa where he was kind of left on a little bit of an island, but he couldn't really do anything with it. I'm hoping that it, now that it's Cali Yarncroke, he's able going to be able to take advantage of, you know, maybe some of the softer coverage that's going to come his way in this game as, as what happened on that goal. He was not accounted for because everybody, all the Tampa players went towards Matthews and Marner. And I, I get what you mean with Kerfoot because I, I I just think this is because Sheldon Keefe wants someone with a little bit more of a defensive mindset to be with Nylander and Tavares. And that's why Kerfoot is there. And that's why Kerfoot is always there. But at the same time, I'm just hoping Kerfoot can bring something offensively. It's asking for, I know the moon and back like a lot, but you, you kind of hope that he can have, he can take He can get back to what he did in the playoffs not too long ago. Like there wasn't, there was a time where he was actually performing quite well in the playoffs too. So it's going to be a lot to ask Matthew Nyes if he's going to have to go up against, like, I'm just wondering how they're going to match this up. Like, are you going to put O'Reilly up against Sorelli? I guess that's the line you're going to go with. Or are you going to put him up against Braden Point? I would have put him against Braden Point. That was my yeah. initial thought. Like, he's probably your best defensive center out of the three. Like, he's a Conn Smythe yeah. winner. And Achari's a heavy guy who can, you know, shut down offense. That was my original assumption. But if you also have Matthew Nyes on that line, now it makes me weary a little bit about putting him out there with, you know, Kucherov and Stamkos and Point. No, that's so true. And, like... I, I don't remember too much about who they went up, like who that line went up against when they were in Tampa. Like Matthew Nyes didn't look out of place, but this is the playoffs. This is totally different. The mindset is totally different when it comes to what you're supposed to do out there. So I, you just got to hope that, I mean, it's a good thing that he's with O'Reilly and Chari, two guys who are very, you know, who know what they have to do. And that's the benefit of putting Nyes with those two, I guess. And that's what Sheldon Keefe wants. He wants someone that in that regard, but I would have loved to see Nyes in the top six. I just think he has, I have more faith that he can do things offensively over Kerfoot. Yeah. And ultimately, like I, I didn't really plan or intend on bearing the lead here, but I kind of did. Um, none of it really matters though. Tonight, if 34 and 16 aren't the best players on the ice, yeah. like tonight, Matthews and Marner and, Look, last night the antics to to try and get Matthews away from the Sorelli matchup, I think was was you know it was a little overboard. You know yeah. he was being way too reactive. Matthews played like 17 minutes of ice time last night. I know there's a lot of penalties and he's not on the PK, but that means you try and find him those that those extra minutes at five on five play. Like that guy's got to play minimum 20 minutes a game, minimum. You need to have that guy out there on the ice. But when you're scared to put him out there because you don't want Sorelli to be out there to shut him down. So you're kind of, you know, line matching, you're doing the chess match, you know, you're kind of hurting his rhythm and flow. And that probably did, you know, result in, in the weird game that those two had. I think they just need to bite the bullet here. And, and if just so happens, Sorelli ends up out there matching up against Matthews and Marner, Austin Matthews is a better player than Anthony Sorelli. Like Sorelli's a, He's a great player. Don't get me wrong. He's a terrific shutdown two-way defense, two-way um, centerman. 
But Matthews is a better player. He still should be trusted by Sheldon Keith to win those minutes. Like, I don't really understand why. I mean, I get it because last year he did shut them down, specifically when they were in Tampa Bay. But, like, Matthews, this is the year that he was supposed to elevate. I don't care who the hell he's playing against, who the hell his his other opponent is at center that's on him, his matchup. That dude's got to go out there, perform, and he's got to be the better player, the best player on the ice. And ultimately, that's what it's going to take for the Leafs to win game two tonight is those two guys in particular, Matthews and Marner, no matter who the hell they're playing, whether, you know, if Hedman's healthy, which we'll get to in a moment, you know, they got to be better than Hedman. They got to be better than Sergachev. They got to be better than Sorelli. They got to be better than Brandon Hagel. They got to be better than all those guys, Nick Paul, whatever. Um, and obviously better than Kucherov, Point, Stammer. They're big boys offensively because if they don't show up again, you saw what happened. There's a ripple effect, and there's not really much offense coming from your bottom six. Those two have to try and get it done. Not at, on the power play. On the power play, I mean, they did get have you know a couple of power play goals, and they finally scored in the third. But at five on five, when the game is played, you know, at at its most, where it's supposed, where it's really won and lost, sometimes that's where those two have to be as dominant. Have they shown that they can be? And it's got to do. They got to do it tonight. Yeah, I don't like the idea of paying two guys a combined $22 million and you have to shelter them at all or try to get the... Like, look, if you want to get the favorable matchup, early in the game, the maroon line was out with Matthews and Marner on the ice. And what does Shelton Keefe do? Nah, I got to get them. I got to tra- I gotta switch that up. Like, play those matchups. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Get you they Like, Matthews, like that top, the top two lines should have been out there a lot more than they were in the first 10 minutes of that game. Because it was the other guys that were fumbling the puck and leading to goals, right? And so you got to get your big boys going. Marner's been playing well over 20, like 23, 24 minutes quite a bit this season. Mm-hmm. Matthews at times was playing that as well. Yeah. Unless there's an injury that we're not uh, hearing about, there's no reason why they should not be playing. Matthews should be playing upwards of 20 minutes. Even Nylander should be playing more at this point. You yeah, need to score goals. You need to win hockey games. Right. Again, though, like you, the amount of the penalties, yes, penalties that they took, like that, that that's the biggest culprit to why their ice time was, right. was down because they they don't kill off any penalties. So you know the, the whole five minutes that Michael Bunting had the major, those two were stapled to the bench. It's just not part of their game. And you would think at the end of the second period, Matthews would have got a couple of those shifts, probably if if it yeah. was five on five hockey. Yeah. So that's another thing. Like, just don't take all those penalties. Eight penalties is too much to take. That's that's just that's just simple yeah. knowledge, dude. Can't take eight penalties against the Tampa Bay Lightning, which was the third ranked power play in the NHL this year. They're a top tier power play. Do not take penalties. You got to be disciplined. And at least Kellyshill is not good enough where you can take eight penalties and be okay and get sure. away with it. Yeah, I mean, they're like middle of the pack. I think like. 12th or 13th or something this year. So like not even top 10. Um, so yeah, that's, those are, that's it, man. You got to make sure that you stay disciplined. You got to make sure that those big boys are, are going. And uh, we do have a goaltender who also I think is going to be in the limelight tonight. He's going to have to step up big time. We'll tell you who that is on the other side, but, but first let me tell you about one of today's show sponsors and it is eBay. Motors, a championship team, is about each player being a perfect fit 
Well, same with your vehicle. So far, uh, so parts that fit, head to eBay Motors and look for the green check. Stay in the game with eBay, guaranteed fit, ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Welcome back into the Locked On At Least podcast. I'm Mike DiStefano with Dave Morissuti. Game two tonight, or as I like to call it, game seven tonight for the Maple Leafs. It's not literally do or die, but uh, it's a pretty much must-win scenario for the Maple Leafs. And after, you know, 12 hours of speculation as to who was going to play in net for Toronto, neither of us really thought that Joseph Wall was actually going to get the start. But when Sheldon Keefe was asked specifically who his goalie was going to be in game two, he did not definitively give an answer and say Samsonov. He said too early to tell. It opened up the door for a little bit of speculation. Well, Sheldon Keefe closed that door today and said, Sammy's our guy. He will be in net. He's someone who's done a really good job when he when uh, bouncing back off of losing performances. And I decided to fact check him on that, Dave. Pretty solid record out of Ilya Samsonov after a loss this season. 13-1-2 and two after losing a game this year. Not too shabby. It's not too bad. And you know what? You're going to need that from Ilya Samsonov because, like, Andre Vasilevsky wasn't great. He wasn't magnificent, but he made the saves he needed to when the pressure was on and the Leafs were trying to get back into the game. But yeah, no, Samsonov, especially early on, I think that's that's gonna be the the uh, the crucial part. That first ten minutes of the game, can he can he help the Leafs if there's some nervous moments? Because there yeah. are too many nervous moments, and he was a part of it, right? Like, you look at some of the goals he let in. Yeah, you know they weren't all his fault because his team gave up the puck, but he also he wasn't holding pucks. He was allowing juicy rebounds. He was allowing those second chance opportunities. Yep, and. I think what the Leafs need to do is they can't let Tampa get to that front of the net, right? Like Samsonov is so good at those chances in front in the slot, but you can't give them away for free either. No, I mean, it was an, it was an uncharacteristic game. That's how Keith put it yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very uncharacteristic how poorly they defended in front of the goal. I think it was uncharacteristic for how, uh, how poor Ilya Samsonov play was in those situations too, like you noted it, he has the number one shooting uh, save percentage um, in the NHL when it comes to high danger and inner slot save percentage. So he's typically really good with that. And he can track the puck well when it's in tight, but last night, just an uncharacteristic night was not able to find pucks, was not able to, you know, corral those saves and get that second, third stop. Um, you know, Tampa was finding a way to, to get pucks into the back of the net. And a lot of those goals coming from within, you know, 10 feet of the goal mouth. And that's exactly how goals are, are, you know, scored in the playoffs. And that's why it matters. That's why size matters. That's why it matters to go out and get yourself a Jake McCabe, you know, to go out there due to are going to box out players and have a heavier stick than, than uh, the opposition so they can tie them up so they can't get that puck off. But Justin Hall wasn't tying up sticks last night. Uh, and a lot of times he wasn't boxing players out. And what happened? Well, a lot of goals ended up in the back of the net. Six to be exact with him on the ice. Were you surprised that he is giving getting another opportunity to play tonight? Did you um, no. kind of expect to see Lilligren get into the lineup overhaul today? Or you thought, yeah, it makes sense for him to get back out there and just kind of take last night's game as, uh, 
as as just you know a bad one. Throw the tape in the garbage and be better in game two. Well, and the fact that Sheldon Keefe also had a conversation with them as well. Like it's good that Sheldon Keefe is making sure his prize possession is you know all there because you know <laughs> I I don't know how many like if honestly if Timothy Lilligren was on the other side, there's no way. No way he's getting into the lineup for the next game. So right. am I surprised that Justin Hall is back in? No, I'm not surprised because Sheldon Keefe trusts Justin Hall a lot more than he trusts a lot of players on this team, apparently. But like, if he comes out and he does the same exact thing as he did in game one, and I'm not even talking about the goals, like being on the ice for all those goals against, but when you have a chance to hit someone from behind the net and you don't deliver the hit and that ends up leading to a goal things like that i i don't know how like, there has to be like no leash at that point yeah and you have to, sheldon keith like your job you're not your job's not secured right this team doesn't have the luxury to say we're going to give these guys second third chances when they're not performing you have nine defensemen that you can choose from nine so i the message should be sent that you're not cutting it we got three other guys win take your spot in the lineup. That should be the message right now. But unfortunately, when you bring those guys back out, I don't know if it sends the right message. It makes it seem like things are okay. I understand you don't want to do mass panic. You don't want to make the storyline story all of a sudden Justin Hall yeah. it's all his fault. Well, I do wonder too though, just to play devil's advocate a little bit. Sure. Like everyone played bad last night. Yes. And I think that's why you had didn't see ma- massive changes because it then it would be like, oh, it was Justin Hall's fault. We don't really have to take all the blame here. No, he was on the ice for six. He goals. Was on the, and I, I'm not making excuses here. I'm the last person to make excuses for Justin Hall. I wanted that man thrown out to the moon after watching him in game one. Yeah, I know. It, it's it's going to be sad when I have to watch him in for game two. Thank God we didn't pay for the tickets because I was not going to be paying for to watch Justin Hall in a playoff game. But I, I just think he's got to he's got to understand that he's got to like that game he had against Edmonton when they made the trade for Luke Shen, right? And those trades were being made, or I, I think that I don't think the Shen trade happened just yet, but it was like it around. Yeah, but he didn't get into the lineup I think until when he, he realized when, when he was like the light bulb went off. Said, "Holy crap! I actually now have to play with some urgency." And he did. Obviously, the Leafs lost the game, but you know we saw some of the, some of the things we hadn't seen. Remember that? If I recall that game, though, he was brutal. He but, was terrible, but he but had a fight. Had a bite to his game. He yes. he he was late, late a couple hits. Maria that hit on McDavid, yeah. and he fought, uh, he fought and lost the fight to Ryan Nugent Hopkins, right? Because he also had a hit on Yamamoto. So yes. it was the hit on Yamamoto that allowed that made Nuge want to fight him, and then he got popped in the mouth by Nuge, and that was rather embarrassing. Yes. Um, but yeah, like that that is what he does have to do. He's got to play with an edge. Last night. Nobody played with an edge. Like that was one of the the criticisms that we had in yesterday's show. You know, our everydayers will know that they 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 listened yesterday. But you know, that's what I cannot see tonight is that them shying away from contact. I saw that so much last night. Like that Perry goal was him shying away from contact. He like just didn't want to lay the hit that was right there in front of him. Outside of Jake McCabe, Nolachari had a couple of hits. I really cannot think of anyone else who really made an impact physically in that game last night uh, or the other night in game one. That can't be the case tonight. They're going to have to come out. 
and and you know Justin Hall is going to have to lay a hit. He's going to have to box dudes out. He's going to have to tie up sticks and be the bigger, stronger player, especially in front of the net. Have to defend in front of the net because this is a team that will bury you. Twenty five percent of the goals that the Tampa Bay Lightning scored last year en route to a third straight Stanley Cup final. Twenty five percent of their goals came off of rebounds. That's how they score, Dave. That is how they score. In front of the net, in tight, they bang at garbage rebound goals, loose pucks. And if you don't tie them up, they know how to put it in the back of the net. you got to do it. Justin Hall has to do it. Gio has to oh, yeah. do it. Yeah, Riley, as a Shen, Brody, McCabe. Can't just, can't just bleep on, like, poop on that guy. No one did it last night. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got to come in and do it for game two. Or guess what? They're going to be down 2 nothing going to Tampa, and the series basically pack it in. It's over. The physicality and intensity must ramp up for the Maple Leafs, and it's got to start at puck drop. Puck drop. That's when everything has to start to come together for Toronto. And I'm also going to add that the forwards are going to have to help out at this point too. Like the defense can't be the only ones. The forwards are going to have to uh, you know, aid in the defensive part of the game a bit more. And yeah, everyone has to be better. Like there's not really, you can't really, like I understand people are saying, you know, McCabe and Brody weren't as bad because McCabe played with a bit of an edge, but they were still on the ice for goals against, right? They still looked pretty not great. And so I think that's got to be the message. Everybody has to step up. And then if things don't go right or if a player doesn't play right, next man up. I, I think that's you're you get to the point where you you can't just leave it to chance that these guys are going to be able to you know turn things around on their own you have the, the coach eventually has to be a coach and decide i gotta make moves here before i lose things yeah yeah you're uh you're not wrong and and i'll i'll wrap with this and say that it also means like the forwards need to help with that support as yeah. well uh, really quickly before we we do jet, there are some uh, some injury updates from the other side of the ice. Uh, Isamont will not play. He's the one who took the hit from Jake McCabe, so he was ruled out. Eric Chernak, who took the hit from Michael Bunting, he was ruled out. Victor Hedman, who did not play in the second and third period, he will be a game-time decision. There's a possibility he could play, but has not been ruled out quite yet. That will be a massively impactful move uh, if he does not play. Toronto needs to take advantage in this game if he is not going to play. That is imperative. And lo and behold, Tanner Janot, a game-time decision. Oh, he's so playing. Possibility to play tomorrow. Oh, he's so playing. uh, Or tonight, I guess, according to Coach John Cooper. Yeah, probably. He's playing, especially now that they have the injuries on the blue line. They don't have the luxury to really. Eismont, like I, Eismont was literally playing his role, and now he's now he's gone. So yeah. they need somebody in the back end there who, who's got that type of size, bulkness, and toughness. And Toronto's got to be ready for that because he's going to shoot out like a cannon. I think if uh, if he does get into this game, so. I, somebody even asked me if Geno gets in, do they put in Wayne Simmons? And I'm like, you no. know what? You can't. You can't do it at this point. Unless Geno, for some reason, in game two is giving you problems and if you feel like in game three you need to get Simmons in there, 
but you you gotta win. You gotta win. You can't be worried about sending messages. Are I, you gonna Are you gonna tell me that you went out? You acquired Jake McCabe. You acquired Luke Shen. You acquired Nolachari. None of those three. Oh, Luke Shen is gonna be the one to do it for sure. Like that's what I mean. Like you don't need to put in a guy who exactly. That's what I, was, I also really told play him. anymore. Like couldn't play last year in the playoffs. It was no. very evident. You're gonna toss him out there now for what? To go out and play three minutes again to a fight? No, yeah. <laughs> that's a waste of a yeah. roster spot. I know. I it, it's just funny that that like you're you're so fixated on that one player when you have a whole Tampa Bay Lightning team you need to worry about. Like, mm-hmm. and, and people are just like, oh no, Victor Hemmen lap. I'm like, yeah, but Victor Hemmen didn't play two periods and the Leafs did nothing about it. Yeah. Hey man, that Perbix, that Perbix kid, he's he's pretty good, man. Yeah, the comment section, there were some people saying we weren't giving that kid credit. Look, Dude, you know Perbix, what? according to the comment section, our last video, the he Perbix, was uh, he was Bobby Orr last Dude, night, nah, right? Next Nick, next Nick Lidstrom, apparently Nick Perbix. So we got to give him that love, or else you know those Tampa people are getting after us in the comment section. It was crazy, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Jerry, <laughs> he was good. It was one game. Relax though. He's not the second coming of Nick Lidstrom. Um, yet at least, but perhaps maybe one day, who knows? Lidstrom was what, like a seventh round pick? Who knows? Maybe Nick Perbix can be that. Uh, all right, buddy. Well, I'll be down at the game. You'll be down at the game. Let's hope we can have a much better, much better recap show tomorrow. That'll do it for us here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Locked on These podcasts on all podcast platforms and receive daily Leafs content. Follow myself on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow Dave at D underscore Morissuti. Go ahead, leave a like on uh, this video. Comment down below your thoughts. Does Toronto get back on the horse and do they respond in game number two? Who plays hero? for the Maple Leafs tonight. Let us know in the comment section down below. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll recap game two for you. But until then, keep it locked right here on Locked On Leafs.